Hey guys, this is the Country Road Podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU football podcast by two WVU fans for WVU fans. All right, guys, what we're going to do today is we are going to recap the Virginia Tech game, and then we are going to give you a preview for the Oklahoma game. So let's get right into it. Some big highlights for the Virginia Tech game. First off, that put Letty Brown over 2,000 career rushing yards. That put him in uh, some elite company. Looking at the names, it was like Avon Cover, Pat White, um, even guys all the way back to Rogers, like back in the 20s. So that uh, is a pretty special day for Letty. Plus, he had a huge game. Um, not everyone had a huge day. I was kind of shocked to see this. I saw Daggy. Um, this was from PFF, Pro Football Focus. This was his worst rated game, according to them that he's ever had while at WVU. That's a shout out to Voice of Morgantown. That's where I saw that info. I couldn't verify this, but I saw we had a record for team tackles for a loss. We had 10 against Virginia Tech. Um, This is only the second rate team that we beat while under Neil Brown. So that's a big day. Um, Even though Daggies play He didn't have the best day. Neil Brown in his press conference on Tuesday took a lot of credit or maybe it was on Saturday right after the game. He uh, took a lot of the blame, which we'll get into that. I'm sure uh, we each have strong opinions on who's to blame for that performance. Uh, it was a huge win, though, so I don't want to be negative about it. And it was definitely a huge turning point. Without that win, I'm sure a lot of fans turn on Neil Brown if he ends up blowing that game. Uh, Daggy would have received an incredible amount of criticism. He probably... Um, We'll still get some criticism, but man, if we would have lost that game off that interception, his people would have looked at him completely differently. Um, the discussion to enter the ACC might have started to fade if we don't beat a team like Virginia Tech. And, you know, no one would have any confidence heading into the Oklahoma game, not a shred of it. So getting that win was big for many, many reasons. What did you think about that? I agree with uh, all your points there. Um, I, I didn't know the thing about Letty. That's really interesting. And, uh, you know, I agree with the fact that it does keep the ACC hopes alive. I know there's kind of some rumors that um, Tony Cree sent out there kind of um, cryptically that, you know, just kind of wait and be patient and good things will happen. So I'm um, keeping my hopes up for that. And it's good to beat an ACC team, especially one that's, you know, pretty highly regarded, um, at least historically. Um, but I, I kind of looked at the game at, in two halves. So the first half I thought was fantastic. Um, I loved the play calling, even though it wasn't always executed the best. I loved that, you know, a lot of what they were letting Deggy do was throw the ball deep, throw the ball short, um, you know, force the defense to kind of respect his um, deep ball. Um, even if he wasn't making the passes, he did have one nice one to, to Bryce Ford Wheaton. Um, yeah, I, I did also like how much they were feeding Letty. Um, I mean, obviously that's what you have to do. And it seemed like at times, um, especially against Maryland, we just kind of got away from that from from one way or the other. Um, I really liked that the offensive line seemed to handle the Virginia Tech defensive line. That was something that um, I think last week we were talking about how just scary of a matchup that could be, especially how aggressive they could be rushing upfield um, you know, they did let some sacks there, you know, there were some plays where we didn't get anything, but I mean, that's just football. Um, I was very impressed with the way they played. Um, obviously they weren't perfect, but 
I can, if they can perform like that every week, I'll be happy. Um, I, I did like the amount of motion that they used. Um, before, it seemed like they weren't using motion very often. And in that game, they're using motion in, on, on um, almost every play. And they're using it in a variety of ways. You know, they had plays where they were motioning um, wide receivers across the set in like a jet formation, even though they never handed it off. It makes the defense kind of respect that. Um, they were also making plays where, or motions where I thought they were kind of strange, but I guess just the way it manipulates the defense is interesting, where they were taking um, O'Loughlin or Banks, who was in at tight end, instead of motioning him across the formation into like a lead blocker position, they were actually motioning him out towards the wide receivers. And that would, you know, sometimes take a linebacker out of the box. And again, just getting one more guy out of the box to let Letty run. And he had such a good game that I, I have to think that all that motion had to help in some way, shape, or form. Um, what did you think about the offense? Yeah, I was, I was happy with it early on. I actually heard an interesting rumor this week. I don't know how true it is. I heard that uh, play calls from the 20-yard line to the other 20-yard other line is uh, Neil Brown calling. And then I heard Parker is the one calling our offensive coordinator. Um, Jared Parker is the one calling the plays in the red zone. And I'm not sure how true that is. If that is true, man, I love the play calling from Neil Brown uh, from the 20 to the 20. Um, and I, I know red zone play calling is way different. Maybe Neil Brown doesn't feel he's very strong in that. But if that's Parker calling those plays, I don't know. I mean, obviously a lot of people questioned it. I mean, in the first half we are in on the two-yard line, first and goal, and we run three plays out of shotgun, all passes. When Letty Brown's having a huge day, I just can't even wrap my head around a decision like that. Yeah, and I actually read, um, I think Neil Brown spoke about that exact um, red zone sequence in the press conference, and I guess the first two plays were broken plays. Um, the first play, I think, was a bad snap, so that one makes sense as to, you know, kind of why it was so bad. The yeah. second one was really, yeah, the, and the second one was really confusing to me. Um so if you watch it, I'm not exactly sure what's going on at all on that play. It, so you have, um, I believe it was um, Sean Ryan in the slot running a crossing route, and then the other two receivers on that side, and then the tight end stayed in the block. So I'm not sure what happened, and you know it looked like it was supposed to be you know a QB rollout, you know, bootleg to the right for a run, mm -hmm. and I can't think of any good reason why Parker or Brown would call such a play because I, I could probably run faster than Jared Diggy. Um, but it was just such a weird play call, especially with Ryan running to the left across the field and then Deggy rolling right. There was no one for him to throw to. So if it was broken so bad, you know, maybe it was just a miscommunication. People didn't hear an audible. I'm not exactly sure what was going on there. And that just put us in a big hole because we lost, what, three or four yards on that play. And you know, when you're that far out, you're probably not going to give it to Letty. Um, so you kind of have to throw it on third down. And I think that third down play was the one where um, Deggy was just late to reading the defense and Sam James was open in the back of the end zone. And I know um, we were in the stands that game and we were yelling, you know, Sam James right there, he's open, get it to him. And then two seconds later, he finally finds him. By then it's too late. He has too tight of a window and James can't get his feet down. So 
that was really the only kind of sequence in the first half that I really didn't like. Obviously, you know, on the defense, which I'll kind of talk about now, is that, you know, I think we did really good, except for that one drive where we committed penalties. We allowed um, Burmeister to get out in the space, run around. Um, and, and one player that I, you know, I don't like singling people out, but um, Vandarius Cowan did kind of a bad job of containing. Um, we ran a lot of zones. So, you know, in the zones, he was kind of the guy on the outside. And whenever Burmeister was getting out, he kind of tried to attack Burmeister's inside shoulder when he was trying to make a tackle, which then allowed Burmeister just to run around him. And that happened, I think, two or three times with him. Um, it's just kind of sloppy. And uh, for someone like Cowan, who's a fifth-year senior now, I know he's been injured a lot. Um, you just got to, you know, play better than that. And if you can take away those, you know, two or three big plays that Burmeister had um, running the ball or scrambling out and making a play, then Jinjak might not score in the first half. Yeah, the defense was incredible. Some great stats. Um, I'll just get the two bad things out of the way. We let them convert a third and 17 and a third and 24. Obviously, you you don't want to see stuff like that. And even in the Maryland game, we allowed them to convert a big third down. So, um, honestly, that's the only negative I can say about the defense so far. They have been great on... Uh, fourth down, Virginia Tech was only one for four. We talked about the lack of turnovers last week and even the lack of turnovers uh, against Virginia Tech. But, heck, one for four, that's that's pretty much three turnovers in itself. So that's huge. They, Virginia Tech was six for 16 on third down. Uh, and, of course, we got a fumble. Now, for the year, we're losing the turnover battle seven to two which uh, we, we got to get these numbers closer <laughs> together. Yeah, that's not good at all. But um, obviously the defense has to create more turnovers. But for how well they're playing, I mean, do they? I guess they don't really have to. The offense needs to step up and take care of the ball better. Yeah, for sure. And the, the one guy I kind of really want to highlight, um, well, I guess two sections on the defense I really want to highlight is the defensive line. The depth there is just tremendous. There was a play where Sean Martin – you know, backup defensive lineman came in and he literally blew up the pocket by himself. It was just incredible. He, I think it was the tackle he was up against. He literally just pushed him out of the way and forced Burmeister to, to rush the throw. Um, so just kudos to him. And then also, uh, you know, I've always been kind of impressed by Sean Alston or Taj Alston, sorry. Uh, he's played really well so far this season. And then, you know, not even talking about Mesador stills, we know how good they are. But in the secondary, um, Adai, he's just, you know, without him, I think we would have so many more big plays. He had a sack. Um, you know, he's always the guy coming up and doing what a safety's supposed to do and being that last line of defense and making sure no one gets past him. Um, you know, he's one of the leaders on the defense, and he's so invaluable. We need to make sure he stays healthy because I don't think we have anyone even close to being able to replace him if anything would happen. Yeah, absolutely. And Jared Bartlett. I mean, uh, he had a huge game of three sacks. Um, and, and the big reason why was that inside pressure you were talking about. Our line played great. And they were so worried about us up front with that pressure that Bartlett, and credit to him too, he's so fast, was able to get in there and just blow up so many big plays. And Virginia Tech, a team that likes to run a lot we held them to 2.5 yards per carry 10 tackles for a loss six sacks so can't say enough good things about the defense plus where they were 
the biggest and what they've been the best at all year is that red zone defense. I'm pretty sure they are the best in the NCAA right now in red zone defense. Out of 11 attempts for the year, we've only allowed four scores, 33% red zone defense. That's amazing. Virginia Tech was one for four that game in the red zone. Um, two turnovers on down, a missed field goal. They've just been amazing this year. Yeah, and one of the things that I think helps a lot too is um, kind of leading into the Oklahoma State um, game today is I was listening to the, the Country Rose Confidential podcast today and they mentioned that per PFF, West Virginia has the lowest missed tackle rate in the Big 12 um, at 12%. And that's like 5% higher than the second high, the second lowest. So, or sec, 5% lower than the second lowest, if to say it correctly. But um, it shows. Um, I know after the first two games, I was a little concerned with our screen defense or outside defense, but we've improved on that. And that Virginia Tech game, they wanted to get horizontal. They wanted to stretch the defense. And I feel like we were swarming and people were getting there, getting multiple hats to the ball, making plays. And that's exactly what you have to do. And wrapping up, taking people down, not missing tackles. The defense just, it, it kind of makes kind of the hopes for the season kind of increase just a little bit because of how good they are and how good they could be. Um, as some of these younger players like Porter and, you know, some of the backups and the linebackers get more um, reps because, you know, some Chandler Tomato, first year starting, um, you know, Bandarius Cowan has been hurt off and on the entire career, basically. <laughs> Um, Jared Bartlett, this is really his first time getting a lot of playing time. You, you just have a lot of really young guys out there that are only going to get better with more reps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's great that we have that youth and they can only get better. Um, couple swinging back around to offense, a couple of good things that I noticed is all three games, uh, a fast start, which is big and will be big against a team like Oklahoma. You're definitely going to have to put points up early and, and not dig yourself in a hole. And uh, this past game, Virginia Tech, we had 5.2 yards per carry, and that even includes the sacks. So um, we de we definitely need to establish the run. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, kind of transitioning into the, the second half um, with Bartlett, where I think he had all three of his sacks in the, the second half. He also had almost the fourth one that ended up, uh, I think, being credited to Stills and someone else, maybe Alston. Um, but, you know, just how disruptive he was, and he got a lot of runtime there in the second half. Uh, the one thing I didn't like really in the second half was in the fourth quarter, we really didn't mix up our coverages that much. We were running a lot of quarters, just a soft zone, let them beat themselves, um, you know, make them play underneath. And I think in some ways that can work, um, you know, in the NFL, that works because you don't stop the clock when you get a first down. In college, it's a little bit tougher. So I would have liked to see them play a little bit more to forcing a turnover while we did force a turnover with a forced fumble off a sack. Um, you know, trying to get our defensive backs in position to, to get picks more by maybe running some cover three, cover two. We may not feel comfortable running man, and that's fine. But, you know, just mixing things up a little bit to make it a little bit harder for teams to, you know, pick us apart underneath. Yeah, absolutely. We were picking on our boy Staley last week for having terrible kickoffs. I said that was <laughs> going to come back and bite us. Hats off to him. The kid had four touchbacks. That that played. That was a huge advantage for us against a team like Virginia Tech that normally kills us with special teams. That was great. Oh, yeah. 
And to keep on special teams, um, maybe not to turn a sour note to things, but um, Sumter, I mean, he had one great punt and after that, very, very inconsistent. Um, I mean, I know that he's been around, he's been kicking for a while, Neil Brown's familiar with him, he trusts him, but you know, I want someone out there who's gonna kick the ball a little bit further than 40 yards every time. And I think he only went over 40 that one time where the ball bounced an extra 20 yards. So um, just kind of gonna show you where his ceiling is. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the quarterback play a little bit. We talked about Daggy and his performance. I was, I'm, I'm still kind of shocked that that was the worst rated game according to PFF that he's had since he's been at WVU. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think he had a great game, but I honestly didn't think he played that bad. What did you see out there? I didn't think he played terrible. Um, the one thing that I didn't, you know, that, that I think hurts him a little bit is the fact that we did throw downfield a lot more. Um, because of that, it's obviously going to drop his completion percentage down, but you have to do that because you need to show the defense that he's willing to do it, even if he's not hitting it. Um, but the one thing that I did notice that I think is really interesting and is kind of dangerous for the offense is that on plays where they're not running crossing routes across the middle, which they don't do very often, um, he only reads one side of the defense. So if you watch the plays, um, he'll immediately turn to the side that the primary receiver is going to be on, and that's the only side that he'll read. The backside receivers basically aren't even running routes. They're just kind of going through the motions. And, you know, I kind of understand that, you know, you're simplifying the offense form. It's making it easier for him to kind of go through things. But good defensive coordinators are going to be able to key on that. They're going to tell their cornerbacks and safeties, hey, you know, if you see someone just not running their route at all, you can bolt over to the other side. And you don't have to worry about them throwing it there. Um, so then instead of having maybe a two-on-two -two or a three-on-two matchup on your play side, having another safety or linebacker cheating over to that side, now you're dealing with, you know, a four-on-two or a five-on-two situation with your receivers and you're just not gonna win that battle. Um, so, you know, I would like to see Deggy kind of read the field a little bit more, read the left side and the right side. I know that's a little bit more advanced, but, you know, if he has a good pocket, you know, just take the time and try um, because, you know, it'll just give your, you know, receivers encouragement to, to run their routes and then confuse the defense a little bit too. Yeah, I noticed that, too. He stares down one receiver a lot. Definitely, I mean, once again, we were talking about this last week. This is a guy who's been playing five years. And, I mean, even when he was at Bowling Green, he started. So I, I'm just shocked that, you know, he hasn't pro progressed further than he has. Um, and, yeah, you can't cut off half the field. You can't just stare to the right or the left on every time. You know, you got – you got to go through your progressions at some point. And I would like to see him check down a little bit more, too, instead of making some of these really bad decisions. Um, you know, I'd rather get two yards than take a sack or throw an interception. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there was plays where, um, especially on that pick, where, you know, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later in more depth. But, you know, he could – Letty Brown was wide open on the other side but he was just looking to the left to get the ball to Esdale because that's how the play is designed. But literally no one was covering Letty in the flat. So he might've had a first down. He might not have. There is still a safety, maybe five or six yards above him who might've been able to make a play. But, you know, at least if he goes down, the clock's running and you still have the ball and then Sumter can kick the ball 30 yards and they get the ball to 50 instead of the 10. Um, so, you know, just something, the little things like that, 
you know, um, it's, we're not asking him to, you know, be Vince Young. We're not asking him to, you know, be Andrew Luck or anything out there, just expand the game a little bit just to make us that more threatening. Um, and on the, on the point of, you know, our other option, Garrett Green, I thought he did well. Um, it's really kind of hard to gauge what else he can do besides run because he just doesn't really have that opportunity. Um, I think every play except for maybe one was a designed run. And, um, and I actually think all of them were a designed run. The one pass that he threw was a botched snap where he grabbed the ball and threw it out of bounds immediately. So, um, you know, it's really kind of hard to say if we had to put Garrett Green in full time, what he would do passing the ball. And, you know, it might be worth taking that risk, but it's really just kind of hard to gauge. Yeah, and so let's talk about that. I thought Green played well when he did come in. You can definitely feel there's a spark when he's in, like of maybe an exciting play is going to happen. And by no means do I just want Garrett Green to be the the only quarterback ever out there, but I do want him to get more playing time. In fact, I think dual quarterbacks uh, would would be huge for us. Letting you play Green more and see what you got. Is he going to be the quarterback next year? Are you going to have to rely on Goose? Are you going to have to rely on a freshman like Nico? Like, I just don't understand. I know Neil loves Daggy and he's got a close relationship with them, but I don't understand why you wouldn't play them more 50-50 or 60-40% of the time. Yeah, at the very least, what I would like to see them do is, um, you know, sprinkling green in between the 20s occasionally, but put green in as the red zone quarterback. Um, I mean, just in situations like, you know, like we were in at the end of the second half where, you know, we weren't necessarily really comfortable throwing the ball. So we tried calling, you know, some more, uh, we did call passing plays, but, you know, having green out there to run around and potentially make a play, run a bootleg, um, run some sort of play action pass to the flats or something. He can do little things like that. Um, I would love to see that. And then also maybe even him as a closer. Um, it looks like that's what Brown was trying to do there at the end, but then we had the false start penalty and he put Deggy in. So, you know, whenever you have to run the ball, keep Green in there, and then that gives you that extra element of surprise for the defense that, that they have to account for. I don't know. I thought Neil Brown would be a little more aggressive when he came to WVU. He seemed pretty aggressive um, down at Troy, but I don't know. Have you noticed that? He seems to, to call things pretty conservatively, and I'm a little shocked by that. Yeah. I don't know what it is with, you know, his second half where he's just trying to kind of kill as much clock as possible. Um, I don't know if it's issues with trusting his quarterbacks or trusting his line or turning the ball over. Um, he's just, for whatever reason – like you said, super conservative. He wants to run the ball two or three times and then throw in a pass only if you have to. And if you're throwing the passes, throwing short passes. Um, and we saw that a lot in the second half. Like the one thing that I also saw that I thought was interesting was um, Sam James played three snaps in the second half. Um, and I think he's been great this year. Um, but the primary package out there in the second half was Wheaton, Wright, and Esdale. Um, I think that you know, Wright's great, and I think Asdale had a really good game. I'm still up in the air on Wheaton on whether he should be playing as much as he does because he rarely comes off the field. But, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing, we're running a lot of short routes when we are passing the ball. We're running the ball a lot. We're not really taking shots. Um, so I think that allows the defense kind of to kind of cue in, bring their safeties up, and then not have to worry about those deep balls that we established in the first half. 
Um, and, you know, you're not going to score as much with that. So I do like that he's more aggressive on fourth down than we've had before, other coaches before, where, you know, if it was fourth down, we were punting 90% of the time. He does play the analytics game, so I do like that. Um, I do like that he does make kind of coaching decisions where, you know, you're managing the game more instead of doing what, like, kind of Dana did, where it was just put your foot down on the accelerator and hopefully that you don't run out of gas. Um, but, you know, he does kind of seem like there's something about this team and previous year's teams that he just doesn't trust yet. Yeah, I mean, there were situations in the fourth quarter where, you know, we could have been killing clock and we weren't. He was being conservative, but he was being conservative throwing the ball and we kept throwing incompletions. So not only was he being conservative, he wasn't killing any clock. So it was a double, we shoot ourselves in the foot. Like either be aggressive with the passing or run and take time off because we were up by 13 points in the fourth quarter and we were just going three and out after getting a fumble, after, you know, getting the ball back on turnover on downs. And we're not even killing clock. We're just we're just running the ball once it gets stuffed and then incomplete, incomplete punt. So I mean, I don't know. I I just feel like sometimes he overthinks situations. Like have a game plan. Are we killing clock? Are we being aggressive? What are we doing? Because it seems like he wasn't doing either. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a good point. That's fair. Um, you know. Definitely running the ball as much as possible. When you have Letty, I mean, we don't know what we're going to have after he's gone. So use him while you, ha while you have him. And I would still like to keep on taking, you know, not even deep shots, but intermediate shots. You know, we've, we're really not passing the ball in between like five and 20 yards. Um, I'm not sure what the reason between that is. But, you know, especially in the second half, if the defense is going to get more aggressive and Virginia Tech blitzed a lot in the second half, um, especially when they were down and they were running out of time, they wanted to force some sort of issue. And, you know, to be fair, it worked with the sack and the or the force fumble and the interception. But, you know, that middle of the field should be open. If they're blitzing those linebackers, attack that. Don't stop running these screen plays. Stop running these stop routes. You know, you can run some slants, which they did, but, you know, run some posts or ends or something like that. Just attack it, you know, make them having to account for it and punish them for blitzing. Absolutely. Yeah. Overall for the game, we were three for 12 on third down. One more thing I want to say about the game. And I was saying it while we were in the stands watching it. When uh, we, we threw the ball three times on the two yard line, had to settle for a field goal, which was very frustrating. Our home crowd is cheering as if it's an away <laughs> game, cheering for Letty, cheering for, I don't know what, why are you making so much noise though, you fans when we're on offense, it's called home field advantage when we're on offense be quiet shut up yeah it wasn't <laughs> I think to be fair though you know it was you know just a lot of adrenaline in the air for such a big game and we were blowing them out and we just wanted to kind of put that last dagger into them and destroy all hope that Virginia Tech had so I can understand the energy and where it was coming from but you know when the, the players are telling you to quiet down I can't hear my play calls you might want to quiet down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and guess what happened on that play where they're chanting for Letty? The center has a bad snap. I, the one thing I wanted to touch on um, outside of the Virginia Tech game before we jump to Oklahoma is just kind of Neil Brown, um, kind of like a barometer uh, of how I feel about him. So, you know, I still like him as a coach. I, I think he has a lot of potential. Obviously, he still has a lot of room to grow, but 
you know, he does have some interesting positive and negatives, you know, looking back at the past two coaches we've had. So, you know, like with Bill Stewart, I think he was the best ambassador to the university that we've had. You know, he loved it. He was never going to leave. Um, obviously, his coaching staff decisions, his play calling kind of game management wasn't great. And that ultimately led them to bringing in Dana. Um, but, you know, he, he had he was a great person for the university to have. Um, with Dana, I thought, you know, it was kind of a new age for West Virginia. We never had, you know, it was coming back to the high-powered offense that Rod had, except in a different way. Um, I thought Dana, I loved what Dana did with player development. I mean, I don't think we've put so many players in the pros in such a short period of time um, as we had then. I mean, even if they didn't stick and they busted, it was just cool to hear their name called on draft night. Um, but he did have, obviously, his really bad negatives, which... He hired his friends. DeForest is obviously an all-time bad hire. His recruiting game was terrible. And I, that, I kind of want to lead into that with Brown, but, you know, he also wasn't a good game manager. But because of Holgerson kind of relying so much on transfers and junior college kids, when Neil Brown came in, you know, Dana's players transferred out. And then also you didn't have a whole big crew of players who had talent. So he's kind of having to rebuild the program again from scratch. And I think he's doing a great job of that. His recruiting's great. I love the way he communicates. I love the way that he has plans for the facilities and kind of big picture things. But kind of what's holding him back, in my opinion, is that he won't give up the play calling duties. He won't put himself in that situation that, you know, where he can just manage the whole team and manage the, the coaches and everything else at a higher level and just kind of be that final stamp of approval for things. Um, and I think that's the next level for him if he's going to, you know, take that next step as a head coach. And, you know, I'm not sure if um, Parker is the right offensive coordinator to have um, instead of Neil. Maybe we have to go out and make an outside hire for someone who's a little more creative. Um, I don't know enough about Parker to understand if he's actually going to be a good OC or not. But, you know, just bringing someone in to handle those duties so that he can focus on the team at large more. Um, he also doesn't kind of seem to like making substitutions or bringing in other other players. He's, you know, it seems like after the summer's over, he doesn't want to pull the plug on someone. He doesn't want to pull the plug on Deggy. He doesn't want to, you know, mess around with the kickers or punters or any of those issues that we've talked about before. So, um, you know, stop being so rigid with that. Um, and, you know, some of this that, that we question too may just be growing pains, kind of like, you know, why I alluded to with the um kind of how he's managing the game is how much is it because he's still trying to bring in his guys the guys that you know he trusts to be in a position and develop them to a level where you know he's willing to run the ball on second and seven to you know get yourself in a third and short situation at the end of, towards the end of the game to keep running the clock versus throwing the ball um and maybe it's just too much trust in Deggy um over what he has in front of him in the line and, you know, kind of on that same point is just, you know, his risk aversion with so many different things. And that ties back into, you know, the substitutions, naming starters, not pulling players who are underperforming. Like, you know, on defense, you have like a redshirt senior like Mahone, who I think is a great box safety. But as a coverage safety, he's not great. He allowed the touchdown today because his back was turned or not today, but Saturday because his back was turned on the play. Um, I think. Samedo isn't necessarily best middle linebacker, and we're not really rotating other guys in there to give them a chance. So 
just little things like that. Um, I don't know how you feel about Brown and you know if you disagree or agree with any of that. No, I mean, I like Neil Brown a lot. I, I still think he's a young coach. I know he was head coach at Troy before this, but yeah, it probably is growing pains. The biggest thing is, are you learning from it? I mean, that's what I want to see. Um, because yeah, some of the, some of the decisions, it just seems so obvious. Like, I know we keep going back to it, but you're going to pass the ball three straight times, uh, when you started on the two yard line. Like, I don't know. There's just some things that I think coaches get a little too cute with the analytics and they just overthink it when, you know, you got the lead, you got the ball down to the two. Sometimes it's just keep it simple and it'll work. I know, um, I, I know if you take a lot of shotgun snaps, you're not going to, you know, want to make your quarterback feel uncomfortable and go under center. But we were going under center a few times that game. So, like, you don't even go under center one time either from the two-yard line and and just try to be tougher than them and run the ball. I love that he's getting guys here um, who hopefully stay for four years, can improve. The biggest thing is, is he going to coach him up, which he hasn't been here long enough for us to see. But uh, that will be the big question. Is he going to make them better from a freshman to a senior? And if he can, then, I mean, then he's got it all. If you can recruit and coach up the guys, what more could you ask for? You're right, 100%. And that's kind of the one thing that I really like about his future is that he does, if he can get more into that game manager, or not game manager, but team manager sort of role, kind of like a, a Mike Tomlin or, or Dabo Sweeney or Nick Saban sort of thing where he's hands off and he's just managing the team. I think he can do great with that. Um, and maybe that's some of the issues where he's having now is where he's trying to make the right decision while also trying to make the right play call. And it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you're doing that over and over again in a tight game, you're going to make mistakes because that's just a lot of pressure and you need to be able to delegate that stuff. Um, you know, and I think you know he's proving that you can bring in good talent to West Virginia and, if he can become successful, you know, win a conference championship or, you know, the greatest thing ever getting into the the final four or whatever it's called now, um, you know, that's going to bring even higher name recruits there. And he has a likable personality. I like his staff. They're young. They're, you know, they seem like the players enjoy them. It seems like, you know, they develop players fairly well in most positions. Um, the offensive line and wide receivers are a little bit more, you know, kind of dicey. Um, but, you know, you're going to you're going to have turnover in places and, you know, you're going to bring in the right guys eventually. Um, he doesn't seem like he's someone who's tied to uh, a Joe DeForest like Dana Holgerson was. Um, he's going to bring in the best guys to help the program and help him with his job. Um, WVU is going to Oklahoma. It's a night game, 730. So that's a that's a big opportunity for us. Oklahoma, last I look, is a 16 and a half point favorite. Um yeah, I mean, West Virginia, if they could go in there and, I mean, one, of course, if they knock them off, that would just be absolutely huge. We haven't beat Oklahoma since the Fiesta Bowl in 2008. Um, but, I mean, if we can even just hang tough and make this a ball game, I think that'll make a lot of West Virginia fans excited. Yeah, and so as skeptical I am of the offense, I actually kind of have a decent feeling about this game. I'm not saying we're going to win, but I think it's going to be closer than what that 16 and a half point spread is saying, just because it kind of, it's kind of a perfect storm for Oklahoma. The past two games, they haven't looked great. And if Neil can put together a, a game plan that works, 
um, then you know we can hang in there. Um, I think our defense is good enough. Um, you don't want to blitz Rattler, but I think our front four is enough. You, know, you get Bartlett in there, Stills, Mesador, Alston, get those four guys in their pressure, make sure that you're running the zones, um, not letting them beat you deep, but just keep everything in front of you, make it tough, make Rattler try to fit things into windows that aren't there. That's what's gotten him in trouble this year is, you know, throwing into tight windows and turning the ball over. Um, if our cornerbacks can pick up, pick off a couple passes, we can keep the game close. And so come down to the offense, which ultimately I think is what's going to end up falling apart on us. But I think still it can be a closer game, maybe like a, a 38, uh, you know, I don't know, 31 type of game. I don't know if we're going to reach over 30 points, but you know, it could be that type of game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is going to go one of two ways. It's either Oklahoma is still trying to figure out their team and and we're able to make it a close game and maybe even pull off a victory. Or this is the game West Virginia, or, uh, Oklahoma finally puts it all together and uh, it, it gets ugly quick. We will see. But, yeah, the, the advantages, the things to look for is definitely our defense. Our defense can make this a ball game um they i mean they run the ball okay they only have two scholarship running backs on their roster which is pretty weird because oklahoma is just known for having so many good halfbacks that typically go pro at some point they have brooks and gray who have been sharing the workload which uh i mean that's probably pretty important for them keeps fresh legs um but yeah, Spencer Rattler, he will be the the one who really determines this game, probably. He's been very inconsistent this year. He's got two touchdowns and two picks against the two quality opponents that they've had. I mean, he had five touchdowns and, and zero interceptions against their cupcake game. But I mean, who cares about that? And again, right. um, Tulane in Nebraska, he had two touchdowns and two picks. So, I mean, he has not been performing all that great. And um, I saw a very interesting stat that passes beyond 20 yards. Uh, he only has three completions, one pick, and for a 56 passer rating. Shout out to Blue Bloods. That's where I got those stats. Um, so, I mean, he's having all of his success is coming from short throws, which is good for us because, well, like you were talking about earlier, our team could tackle well. And we proved last week that we can tackle well. So, if if we just keep playing the way we're playing, uh, we might be able to, who knows, hang in this game and maybe even pull off the upset. Yeah, and the one thing I was um, reading about today is that what Oklahoma likes to do when their offense is stalling is they like to run trick plays. So, and it seems like every time after they run a trick play and they break something open, that's when their offense starts to click again. I don't know if it's something to do with getting in the defensive head or just, you know, moving the ball forward and just being a mental thing for the offense saying we could do this. Um, yeah. But, you know, being apprised of all the different little tricks that Lincoln Riley can pull out because he is one of the best, if not the best offensive, you know, play callers in college football today. So you really can't, you know, take him for granted that he's not going to be able to figure things out. But, you know, the one thing, the one step that I read about too, is that Rattler, I think has like a 85% completion percentage with like five touchdowns when he's blitzed so just really important that you're not blitzing him because he will shred you who will find where that blitz is coming from and dump it off where that hole is um you know he may struggle with the deep ball but you know 
make them throw it. You know, <laughs> don't let them pick you up part underneath. Don't give them those holes. Make sure you're running that tight zone like West Virginia's run the past three games. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I've also noticed they've won the turnover battle every single game so far. So um, we keep talking about West Virginia and the turnover battle. That could really be a big factor as well if we can finally uh, win a turnover battle in a game, then who knows? That might end up being the difference. Looking at their defense, they don't give up rush yards, uh, at least not so far, only 83 yards per game that they have given up. However, their pass defense seems to be uh, their weak point. There were a couple big injuries I noticed on their defense. Jalen Redman on their D-line was hurt. Uh, Woody Washington was also hurt. From what I hear, they got a lot of other guys that they can plug in on that D-line. So uh, we shall see. Hopefully that opens up the run game a little bit. And here's the biggest thing for me. Neil Brown has to keep trying to run the ball, even if it's not working early. If he just gives up on the run game and relies on the quarterbacks and the O-line to pass protect to win this game, it's going to get ugly. They have to to run and try to make it work. I think, you know, we have to run the ball too. I, I think the one thing, one stat that I saw is that Oklahoma is actually second to last in the Big 12 in missed tackle rates. So they're missing 20% of their tax, tackles. So what I would like to see West Virginia do is run more, you know, run some jet sweeps, which we haven't really seen yet at all. Um, run more powers, run to the outside. Don't let, you know, the linebackers get out there and make plays. Make the safeties and corners make plays. Because those are the guys who are going to miss the tackles. Um, run screens, but don't be predictable about it. Um, you know, they were Neil, I think it was Neil Brown or Esdale was talking about after the Virginia Tech game that on that play where um, Deggy threw the pick, they were calling out the screen. And every time, you know, they ran that screenplay, the defense was calling out that screenplay. Um, so they, they noticed it. Um, and another thing from the Virginia Tech game that I forgot to touch on that, you know, is a problem that Oklahoma is definitely going to key in on is offensively is when we run certain plays like those screenplays, we're trotting out specific people. Like I think Reese Smith was in on all of those screenplays that we ran to Esdale and then he doesn't come in any other time really. So um, that's a key and the defense is going to know notice that. Um, plus on that pick that they threw to Esdale, that was the only snap where Esdale lined up on the left side of the ball. Every other time he's on the right side of the ball. Every other time, Bryce Ford Wheaton is always that left wide receiver. Literally every other play of the game and the play we threw the pick was the play where they aligned someone else up there. So it just kind of shows you that defenses knows what's up. They know they're going to key on these other little things. So you, you can't try to be sly and try to sneak things past defenses like that. And I'm going to see them, you know, rotate personnel in, but not try to be predictable with their play calls when they're running these screens and things like that. Yeah, I'm with you. I definitely want to see more motion. Um, just like we talked about last week, we wanted to see that in the Virginia Tech game. You got, I mean, this team doesn't allow a lot of rushing yards, so you got to somehow try to freeze the linebackers a little bit, give Letty more room. Um, you got to actually give it to the guy going in motion every now and then. And that's just another reason why I would like to see Green playing more this game. If you can't get the run game going, with Letty, put Green out there. Make them think, well, is Green going to keep it? And maybe sometimes he will, just on those read option plays if it's available. Well, you got anything else on the Oklahoma game? No, that was basically it. Um, I think 
you know, it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm holding out a hope that's going to be a close game. Um, maybe that's just my the homer in me, but uh, the defense just looks so promising. And the one thing against that, I guess, is that we haven't really faced a potent passing attack yet. Um, so maybe Rattler is just going to shred us, and then all my hopes are going to be dashed that we have a great secondary. So uh, it's either going to be a, a really happy uh, Sunday morning or it's going to be a really, really upset, depressed Sunday morning. <laughs> Early and maybe get a win, then this would be it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, th this would – getting Oklahoma and Virginia Tech back-to-back -back wins as kind of unlikely as that could be, that could just completely change the course of this program. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I mean, it would buy Neil Brown, heck, maybe definitely the rest of this year, maybe even next year. Because, um, like we were saying, I mean, if that game would have went the other way last week, then, you know, everyone would have a different tune this week about Neil Brown and his job security. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he beats Oklahoma, you know, I, I bet you the entire state of West Virginia would pitch in to buy him a yacht for to put in the cheap <laughs> lake. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you have a good, a bad, and a wish for this week? Um, so the good was defense. I mean, the whole thing was just – I couldn't believe how well we did. I was so worried about the way that the motion, how much motion Virginia Tech runs, Burmeister and how mobile he was, and we just completely shut him down. Um, the only time they scored is because we gave him the ball in good field position. So um, th that was the good. The bad is just the way that we ended the game. Um, we let off their their necks so to speak and you know we made mistakes bad play calls all around just bad snaps it just seemed like everything was collapsing around us and you know just being there it was just so scary um to watch because it felt like we were going to lose and um that was the bad thing and uh, my one wish is that we can keep it close against oklahoma that would be I think that would go so far, um, even if Oklahoma does lose a couple games this year, being able to prove that we can hang within a sco one score or so of a team like Oklahoma and all the talent and coaching talent that they have as well. Um, I think it's just going to be a boost, not only to the fan base, but to the players. Absolutely. Yeah, my, my good would be the uh, four touchbacks that Staley had. I hope that he can keep that up because I really do think that is huge. Uh, when you got a defense as good as ours, you never want to give the other team good field position. So if you can consistently get touchbacks, I think that is a huge advantage for us overall as a whole team. Red zone defense. You love your special teams. I do, man, dude. I think, I think that's huge to make the other team go the length of the field almost. I think that's big. Uh, red zone defense, without a doubt. Um, bend but don't break. I mean, yards don't mean anything if the if the other team's not getting points off of it. So that, those are my two goods. Bad, I want smarter red zone play calling. I mean, obviously, that was the big thing. And everyone forgets it because we won. But if if we lose that game, I mean, that's even magnified bigger. So we, we got to be smarter in the red zone and get seven points when you're on the two-yard line. You can't be settling for threes there. My wish is fans, quit cheering when we're on offense. That drove me absolutely crazy. <laughs> Save your voice when the opponent's on the field. And that's it for me. I love it. It's great. And um, I'm really hoping that we have another game at Mountaineer Field that's 
even similar to that atmosphere this year. Um, it was just great to see the fans so hyped up, and rightfully so. I mean, it's Virginia Tech. Um, it's been, what, four years since they've they've been here. We played them, so um, it needs to happen more often, whether it's a regular scheduled game or we end up in the ACC, uh, preferably the latter, but I'd settle for the former. Um, you know, it's just great to see the student section filled, people cheering loud and being hyped about something that a true rival. Um, it's just amazing. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I haven't felt an atmosphere like that in probably 10 years. All right, guys, that's it for us this week. We will see you again, hopefully earlier next week. We've been doing these on Thursday. We're hoping we can get these out a few days earlier. Um, so be looking for that. We will be recapping the Oklahoma game, hopefully a victory, and then we'll be previewing the Texas Tech game. So for Country Roads Podcast, I'm Tyler Pepe. I'm Brandon Cork. Thanks for listening. See you guys.